Welcome to your Truth Revealed podcast, helping you be your own mental health expert. I'm Erica Marcoux, and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to explore your hidden physical and mental health potential. You're listening to episode 36, Know Your Self-Awareness. This is the second part of an interview where I'm the guest with host Ashley Braxton on the Happy Choice podcast. And this is the last interview of season two. Season three will start again in September. Specializing in psychology and yoga, I explain the importance of being mindful of yourself and how developing self-awareness can help you discover your full potential. My master's degree is in somatic counseling psychology from JFK University in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've had a private practice for almost 20 years, and I'm a yoga instructor and author. Listen as Ashley and I discuss ways to heal yourself and adopt the mindset of self-awareness and loving kindness. Hey guys, welcome to the Happy Choice Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Braxton. Erica, can you give people tips on how they can be more mindful? I think the whole point of it is to find that self-love. That fundamental self-love that we are all part of. And everything else is just some weird distraction, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) This is me boiling everything down. But But it's so true. I like to look at everything in that perspective of Mm -hmm. it comes back to me in every single way. Everything comes back to you. Yeah. And if you can fill it within, then the problem that was already out there goes away because- that is exactly you had to right. go in and fix it, which came to the root. Yeah. And that's not an easy thing for people to hear. Most people are like, no, well, he or she did this. And I'm like, ah, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing to do. But if you can learn to do it and then be grateful that it came to you and be like, oh, I've got to learn something here. Yeah. That's it. It gets better. And the thing is, your life is your life and you are the steward of your own life. And it really is not about anybody else. You can say that person made me feel this way, but that's not the reality. The reality is that your life is your responsibility and it's not about anybody else. It's not really even about external situations. It's about how you regard yourself. And you're right. If if you keep looking outside of yourself, you're not going to find peace. You're not going to find that deep relationship with yourself, which is really what all of us want. We've just forgotten or you've lost your way. And I noticed so when, when you were talking, you kept touching your heart. And that is the center. It really is. It's not up here. It really it's not in your is. thoughts. Wow. It's not in your brain. And I find the culprit a lot of times is that ego. Yes. Can you tell everyone about the ego? Ego, basically, it's your habits. I tie it a lot with the brain. And this is not easy stuff to talk about because we have so many different definitions of all this. But I'm going to try to break it down the best I can. We all have a brain. And whether we want to see it this way or not, it is just an organ. It's just an organ, like the heart, like the liver, any other part of your body. And when our brains develop, just like within any mammal, it's built for survival. And it's also a very energy expensive organ to run. The brain looks for shortcuts. 
It looks for patterns. And oftentimes it can see the world as this or that, black or white. It can be very dualistic, simplistic, but it doesn't hold the entire reality. And and it can't. It's just a brain, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) It does generate thoughts. And we all have had that experience of the monkey mind, the thoughts that ruminate or look at past experiences and try to fix it or change it. But that's the brain doing its job. The most important part of mindfulness is stepping away from that, recognizing that it's doing its job. That's the ego. And knowing that you are consciousness, you are your soul and recognizing that your brain is your human part, but it doesn't hold the whole reality. When we become so attached to those mental thoughts and we think that that's really all that is, we feel pretty miserable, like something's missing. I hear that so much in my clients. I feel lost, something's missing. I'm like, yeah, because you're so tied to your ego thoughts. And that's not the full picture. Mm -hmm. It can't be. That's where the ego manifests the most, but we also have habitual behavior, habitual emotions, the things that we do with our body, the foods that we eat are habituated. Now, all that can be okay if they're healthy, but if they're not, we have to go back to our conscious self and say, I need to make an adjustment here. And that's where we start to really reach our full potential. But we've got to be able to not take our thoughts so seriously Mm. and surely not taking other people's thoughts and actions so seriously either. Why do you think this is not widely taught? I have no idea. I get frustrated because when I do teach this to my clients, they're like, oh, why wasn't I taught this when I was five? I'm like, why wasn't I taught this when I was five? Why did I have to spend decades searching for this? Why is it hidden or why are we not getting it? Well, I have to go back to my cultural perspective. And when I look at psychology in the West, Europe Mm -hmm. and Northern America, psychology as we know it is only a few hundred years old. And you've got Freud who is doing psychoanalysis, which there are a lot of flaws in his understanding of the human experience. That is still where we're operating. I mean, think about Freud. He had his back turned to the patient. He's a medical doctor. He has descendants and people who broke free from psychoanalysis. What happened was there was a movement in the U.S. with Carl Rogers, who's a humanistic psychologist, where he was sitting down with people and being genuine with them. We started to get more humane about working with that person in front of you and developing that healing relationship. And I think it's a beautiful thing that that is what counseling is seen as predominantly today, and it continues to evolve. But in my opinion, it still wasn't enough. That's why I started looking, especially to yoga. Again, the the Western psychology that we have right now is a couple hundred years old. When we look at yoga... They have been studying the human being, our human experience for thousands of years. You've got the the Vedic texts and the Yoga Sutras from Pantanjali. It lays it all out. We can see that there's overlap with some of the techniques that we use today in counseling, but I still think that we miss it. 
got a little upset reading the, I'm not going to name the book, but it's about Buddhism. And I look at it and I'm thinking they're missing the point. Here I am yelling at my book because it's still coming from a medical perspective. You've got to let a lot of those preconceptions go, this Western mental mindset, in order to really understand yourself. You're not going to get there through this pure logic, medical, individualistic, dualistic perspective. It's just not going to work. It's just, like you said, it's really sad. When I found out, I was like, but wait, why weren't, wasn't I just taught this as a child? I think I would be an incredible human being today. You know what I mean? Well, you are an Why incredible human being today, but I believe- Thank you. Yes, but I believe a lot of our unnecessary suffering, our unnecessary yeah. confusion, I feel like we're just wasting our yeah. lives. And for what? So yes, a lot of my clients yeah. are like, oh my gosh, this is so easy to understand. And, and maybe that's because of all the work I've done to make it easy to understand being a Westerner myself. So interesting. Mm -hmm. And kind of how we have this thing about, oh, there goes a yogi. But ever since I've been doing yoga, I'm like, no, yoga is therapy. Well, it's real yoga is a shift in perspective. Yeah. I mean, the asanas, you see people doing yoga postures. That's the appetizer to the meal. The meal being the meditation, the meal being the change in lifestyle the change in perspective and approach to yourself. Here's also, because you asked, why are we not taught this? But we, again, have to look at American culture in particular. I don't think that it's the same in Europe. It's predominantly (laughs) this Christian aspect, which says that creation is outside, that we need a priest Mm. in order to access God. That is not what I teach my clients that we are all aspects of creation. We're all animated from the same place. And it's accessing that deep, deep part of who you are. And then knowing that really that's who all of us are. We've just forgotten. So another thing that I think about is like you walk outside on a sunny day and you look at your shadow. And for anyone that says that shadow is me, you're missing the point. And that's our ego. It's who we think we are. So many steps removed from our true self. Your true self is standing, creating that shadow, right? That's the importance. We have to remember that we are part of this amazing and beautiful creation that's unfolding around us all the time. We have to slow down to see it, to appreciate it. Beautifully said. Thank you. (laughs) So great. Yeah. And... It's so good. I wanted you to talk about mindfulness meditation and how you're supposed to do it, what it does to you, Mm -hmm. and then talk about your own experience with how it changed you, if you could. I feel like to explain it just as mindfulness and meditation is putting it, the experience in a box. Mm -hmm. And what comes to mind is Don Kabat-Zinn. There's a certain tradition that he's brought here to the US, it's not necessarily my way. It's not necessarily my experience. Even to call it that is not exactly what it's been for me. For me, it's been an experience. It's an experience of deepening in my self-awareness. And Mm -hmm. it's more about developing a deep 
and loving relationship with myself. However, that happens. Being on this new land where we're getting new trees and we're pruning and we're doing all that stuff, to me, that is it. I'm connecting with nature. I'm cultivating this land that's been neglected. That's it. That's the joy. That's that spark. You can call that mindfulness, but to me, it's still more about compassion and consciousness. It's always an experience for me. It's not a mental exercise. It's finding that thing or that person or my dog that ignites that pure joy. And I wanted to ask that to show people that your answer was not going to be, well, just spend 10 minutes a day listening to this happy thoughts and positive reinforcements and you're going to be awesome. That's why I was like, how can I ask her that? (laughs) I'm so glad you're interviewing me. This wouldn't be coming out of me if it weren't for you asking these questions. No, it's so genuine. I'm listening to you and I'm like, I literally have so much to learn. Let me ask all my questions. (laughs) I would like people to understand (laughs) that. I mean, goodness, I'm listening to 10 minutes of positive reinforcement. I'm like, it's not what you're supposed to do. Well, it's superficial and that's what people don't get. You cannot develop a deep relationship with yourself using superficial modalities. It's just not going to work. But it's interesting because you actually have to know the real definition to be able to see when someone else is saying it. And there's such a difference in yoga teachers as well. I went to one the other day and she was like, you look in that mirror, look at yourself. And I was like, oh, (laughs) but I did it. You know what I mean? She didn't say anything. It wasn't, okay, so take a deep breath in, one, two, three. It was none of that. It was just look, you look in that mirror and you get it. And I was like, <laughs> but I did it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's so funny because sometimes I take a yoga class and I, I have to wait a few days because I can feel everything inside of me mm-hmm. being realigned on a completely different level. I was not physically tired, but sometimes I need a few days and I'm like, Phew, that was a good one. We met before this interview and there was something that you told me that has stuck with me. And you said that your sister passed mm-hmm. and that you had a dream about her. And she told you, wake up, what the heck are you doing? And this was a huge awakening for you. I'm curious about that. Wow. Yeah. I was listening to a meditation. It kind of like helps me fall asleep. And it was a really heavy one. And it was letting go of negative attachment. And I can vividly remember the music and the the rain took me on a path where I was on a boat and I was sitting by myself on this boat and I was getting to this place. I remember walking, I can't remember if it was on shore or on the pier and I saw my sister and I ran over to her and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't mean to do this. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean it. And she sat there and looked at me. And then she got up and walked away. And I remember I was like, what? And so I like ran over again. And I was like, I know you're mad. It's because you're mad. It's because you're mad. And she was like, I'm busy. <laughs> and I was like, what? She's like, why do you think I'm walking away? I'm, yeah, I'm listening to you, but I'm busy. I've got to do my own stuff. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. You're the only one who's upset. You're the only one who's got your anger issues. You've got to figure all that stuff out yourself. I am totally fine. And I was like, yeah, but I thought that you would, I thought it. And she's like, you need to get over yourself. You need to get your life together. 
you need to figure it out. But in it, she kept leaving and going. I mean, literally, one time she walked away, her hair was a different color. She came back. She was with a, a guy. And I was just like, what about me? She's like, no, like I said, I am busy. Thanks. You know, and she said, and don't expect me to keep popping up whenever you feel like it. Not going to do that either. I'll pop up when you need it. Not when you think you need it. When you need it. Don't expect this again. And I was a new person. Before I left, she was like, you're you're such an ugly crier. She's like, you've always had this ugly cry. (laughs) And I knew it was my sister because she always used to make fun of me when I was crying. It was so great. How did that help you wake up? You said you were a new person after that. What happened? Yeah. I was very consciously aware that you don't know when you're going to leave. You don't know anything. But the only thing you can control is yourself and yourself in how you react to every situation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's self-cultivation. Yeah. And the outside world is going to keep going, but you can be... I don't even know the right word, like hyper aware Mm -hmm. of all the things going on around you. And I can look at my plants now and it's so weird, but like I can see the growth. And when I say see the growth, I know it's breathing in air. I may not be able to see it, but I know that it's going on and I'm a part of it. And to wake up every day and to be stressed and what are you doing all that for? It it just cleared... (laughs) It cleared me. It cleared me. Well, there may be that fear. I mean, we all have this underlying fear of death. Mm. I love that you say you can't control when you're going to die. No. And here's the thing, even in in a Buddhist practice, they say meditate on your death. Meditate on death. And in doing so, you will appreciate the life experience that you're having right now instead of wasting it. Yeah. Through endless distraction and silly worry. Yeah. And you have to have that gratitude every day. Oh, I mean, it's a miracle that we're here and having this experience. When we lose sight of that, I think that's when we suffer. Yeah. And the worst part is when you have to realize that all the suffering is self-caused. Oh, absolutely. And they've even looked at that with trauma. The initial trauma or experiences, let's say you have a car accident. You can cope with that, but what we suffer with is remembering it, replaying mm-hmm. it. How could we have prevented that? It's That's all the unnecessary suffering. Instead of just being with the incident, it happened, let it go. Mm-hmm. But we fixate on every little thing that we think goes wrong. And that's not building strength. The strength is no. having that perspective that honestly, every single one of us is okay. Our souls are intact. We are okay and living from that place. And yeah, crap's going to happen that we have no control over. But when we build that strong sense of self, I don't mean strong ego. I mean strong sense of self. We know we can handle anything Mm -hmm. because we can. We're resilient. We are. The other stuff is, is addicting though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Worry is addicting. Oh, my gosh. Because you get that adrenaline hit. And it's a false sense of aliveness. You're aware of your plant growing and it's peaceful. 
I always talk to him like, look, you're doing good, buddy. Just like me. My hair is growing too. I see. See you. <laughs> it is growing. I was so Ew. excited. It fell out when my sister passed. It all oh, it did. Just- so all oh. that stress about her death, Yeah, it's a big deal. When our loved ones pass, it can be extremely painful. It reminds us of our own mortality. But I do believe that if you can connect with that loved one that's passed, which you did, all of a sudden, everything is back into perspective. I do not believe that when we leave our physical body that our souls just vanish into nowhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had way too many experiences to know better than that. There aren't Mm -hmm. enough people in this culture that accept that. If I lived in India, they would be like, well, duh. Right. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I mean, they would be like, so where did you think you came from before? Right. Like you think you just- I mean, they're not like, that. that is, they look for that. They understand yeah. that. They have a culture and yeah. belief system that allows for that. We don't. Mm-hmm. And so again, that's where my independence comes from. I know it's true for me. I don't even have an interest in proving it to anybody else. I feel like we unfold into ourselves as we need to. And for me, that has been my particular life experience. And I ask higher consciousness, you're bringing this to my attention. What do I need to look at? What do I need to remember? What do I need to learn? And I look at it as an opportunity to stay open Mm. and to know how precious this lifetime is. Amazing. Yeah. It's so cool. And to not take it for granted, even the tough stuff that happens. Living a human life is not easy. No. I would say it's mostly not fun either. (laughs) No, (laughs) not at all. Jeez. No. (laughs) Bodies that could get injured or killed. Oh my gosh. It's already bad. So sometimes I'm like, are you really going to sit there and make it worse by doing all that stuff? Right. You don't even know it's coming, babe. Yeah. <laughs> it's already you hard. And it's all these other things that we do, our attachments that make it so much harder. But it's always fun when you start that journey. Oh, I do you find it that fun? I I love talking to myself. I'm always like, oh, wow, here you go. Making it worse. Yeah. Look at you. Erica, you are amazing. You need to know that. And I'm so glad you came on this podcast. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you found me and asked me. Thank you. You're so awesome. You're awesome too. I want to talk about a workbook I co-wrote called Foundations for Living Mindfully. If you're looking for practical ways to develop self-awareness, then this workbook is for you. It includes exercises both to enhance and expand your true self in a larger sense and to mitigate painful patterns. It marries your soul connection with physical and mental health best practices. This workbook provides an easy way to understand consciousness and steps that are practical and attainable. Go to Amazon.com and search for Erica Marcoux. That's E-R-I-K-A-M-A-R-C-O-U-X. A newer book will be available soon. It's called Your Truth Revealed and is a reference workbook for this podcast. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast, Your Truth Revealed. I want to expand on some of the main points from my interview with Ashley Braxton. Here's a passage from the book called Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock. She writes, 
Several years ago, a small group of Buddhist teachers and psychologists from the United States and Europe invited the Dalai Lama to join them in a dialogue about emotions and health. During one of their sessions, an American Vipassana teacher asked him to talk about the suffering of self-hatred. A look of confusion came over the Dalai Lama's face. What is self-hatred? he asked. As the therapists and teachers in the room tried to explain, he looked increasingly bewildered. Was this mental state a nervous disorder? He asked them. When those gathered confirmed that self-hatred was not unusual, but rather a common experience for their students and clients, the Dalai Lama was astonished. How could they feel that way about themselves, he wondered, when everybody has Buddha nature? While all humans feel ashamed of weakness and afraid of rejection, our Western culture is a breeding ground for the kind of shame and self-hatred the Dalai Lama couldn't comprehend. Because so many of us grew up without a cohesive and nourishing sense of family, neighborhood, community, or tribe, it is not surprising that we feel like outsiders on our own and disconnected. We learn early in life that any affiliation with family and friends, at school, or in the workplace requires proving that we are worthy. We are under pressure to compete with each other, to get ahead, to stand out as intelligent, attractive, capable, powerful, and wealthy. Someone is always keeping score. After a lifetime of working with the poor and the sick, Mother Teresa's surprising insight was, The biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather the feeling of not belonging. In our own society, this disease has reached epidemic proportions. We long to belong and feel as if we don't deserve to. I'm sharing this passage by Tara Brock to remind you that self-love is the cure for self-hatred. It is your responsibility to take care of yourself in this way and to let go of anything in our Western culture that tells you otherwise. Be aware of who you really are and embrace yourself with loving kindness. There's more great resources like these in the show notes. Remember, season three will begin in September. In episode 37, child psychiatrist Jim Tucker and I talk about reincarnation. He appears on the Netflix series, Surviving Death. I've been studying reincarnation for 20 years. Children will typically start talking about the past life uh, at age two or three. We focus on children because they are the ones who are most likely to have these memories. And we can be pretty confident that a two or three-year-old has not been exposed to some obscure figure from history. Until next time, subscribe and rate the show. You can stay connected with me by signing up for my newsletter at yourtruthreveal.com and follow me on Instagram at Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.